This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. And welcome back to Vancouver Consumer. Here on a soggy Saturday afternoon, I'm Sterling Fox. In just a few moments, we'll introduce you to Vancouver employment lawyer Jeff Mason, who will talk a lot about the gig economy, which is the way our workplaces seem to be drifting. Fewer full-time employees, lots more contractors with no benefits. The picture is definitely changing. And Jeff will uh, talk about what that means for BC workers, and we'll open up the phone lines uh, for your calls as well. But first, here are some more of the week's top consumer stories and last week it was all about a ford f-150 recall on this show well this week it's gm's turn to recall some of its pickup trucks general motors is recalling 1.2 million big pickup trucks and suvs because of power assisted steering problems that have well been cited in a number of accidents gm says the power steering rather can fail momentarily and suddenly return yikes mainly during low speed turns increasing the risk of a cat crash rather the company says it has 30 reports of crashes with two injuries but no deaths the recall covers certain 2015 chevrolet silverado and gmc sierra 1500 pickups as well as the chevy tahoe and suburban suvs also affected the 2015 cadillac escalade and the gmc yukon dealers will update the power steering software at no cost to owners no date has been set to notify customers but gm says the software is available now so owners can contact dealers to get those repairs scheduled. More than a million of the trucks are in the States, the rest here in Canada. Now that the summer travel season is officially over, the folks at BC Ferries are busy putting the numbers together and to no one's surprise, ridership is at an all-time high. In the first quarter of this year alone, BC Ferries had the highest level of vehicle and passenger traffic in their 58-year history. The only fly in the ointment is income. Despite, despite rather record use, BC Ferries reported a net income of only six million bucks in the first quarter, compared to over 17 million same quarter last year. Ferries blamed the lower income levels on fare reductions, including a 15 percent reductions on some popular routes and a seniors discount, along with increased operating expenses and the cost of updating vessels to dual fuel capability. Meaning now most ferries can run on either diesel or liquefied natural gas. Say, you know, it's never too early to make plans for Halloween. I know, I know, it's just early in September. But if your family likes to ride the ghost train in Stanley Park, you better listen up. This year's theme is Jack-O-Lantern's Journey Through the Dark Forest which already sounds kind of creepy. And this year's guests will be looking for a 12-foot monster and an assortment of nearly human creatures. Your haunting experience will take place on a live theatrical performance train. The journey will run every night from October 11th to 31st. And meanwhile, smaller kids can enjoy a less scary daytime train ride through the forest to see Stanley Park's Halloween displays without the live performers. Well... Almost live. This is hugely popular, so we're letting you know about it now so you can get your tickets online. It's that popular. Early September, people will be booking tickets. Prices range from 6 to 12 bucks, And there are deals as well for groups and such, so get them early and don't miss out. Google Ghost Train in Stanley Park. 
Our friends at AM730 Traffic will remind you of this a lot in the next few days, but the Patullo Bridge will have two lanes closed each night this week, beginning with northbound tomorrow night. During the closures, which will be between 10 p.m. and 5 a.m., the bridge will be one way only, so crews can get down under the bridge to inspect its condition. This is an annual inspection of the Patullo before it is replaced in 2023. Those are some more of the week's top consumer stories. We'll look at a few more later in the hour. Up next, employment lawyer Jeff Mason to take your calls and give us all lots more information about the gig economy. And we'll start with what exactly is that when we return on Vancouver Consumer here on ZKNW. Welcome back to the program. Sterling Fox with you, joined in studio by Jeff Mason, who is an employment lawyer with Kent Employment Lawyers in Vancouver, Kelowna, and Victoria. Jeff Mason, welcome to Vancouver Consumer. Thanks so much for having me, Sterling. It's good to have you with us, and you're here to talk to us as an employment lawyer about the gig economy. So let's just hit ground running. Let's start with what the heck are we talking about? What do you mean when you hear someone say the gig economy? That's, it's, it's a good question. And if you ask five different employment lawyers, you'd probably get five different answers. But there's the, the general concept is it's uh, these businesses that are entering into contracts of service with workers to provide one-off services. So one-off gigs, essentially. Right. Um, but it's most easily understood by reference to the type of companies within it. So you're your Ubers, your Airbnbs, uh, Grubhub, Skip the Dishes. It's, I could go on for hours <laughs> listing those, but those are the, the type of companies that we're talking about. Okay, but I, I get the impression that in the workplace, in the workplace in general, rather than these, these specific new startup, not startups anymore, but new to the, to the, the world companies mm-hmm. doing things very differently, that has caused a lot of change throughout the workplace in general to the point where a lot more... More employers, Jeff, are looking to find ways not to have full-time employees, but rather contract workers. Absolutely, it's, uh, and I think that trend you uh, you might be seeing that spilling out a bit beyond sort of the traditional gig economy companies into traditional employers like you're like you're talking about. But um, I mean, and businesses have always been incentivized to a certain extent to do that. Sure. Um, I mean, you don't have to provide for. Uh, basic employment level protections, you know, you don't have any severance obligations, EI contributions, CPP, things like that. Now, the challenge for for businesses has always been that you have to allow a certain level of autonomy to your workers if you're going to uh, frame them to be independent contractors. So that's why one of the reasons when why the the gig economy has given rise to these types of workers is because um, you know generally the uh, the businesses um, you know have have their hands off uh, much more than traditional businesses would but um, that certainly doesn't prevent uh, a lot of businesses from uh, at least attempting to to frame their workers as independent contractors in the first place yeah interesting and gig of course is uh, I guess 60s slang for job yeah yeah it's uh, it's I don't have the, a dictionary in front me, but that would be a good way of defining it. Yeah, just uh, essentially just a task you're doing. Right. So, uh, so how is this? Uh, do, does a person, for example, in the workplace, Jeff, who accepts? Okay, I'm going to do. I'm going to perform a service for you for a specific period of time, be it weeks or months, and in exchange for performing this service, you're going to pay me X. That's it. I will demand nothing else, no benefits. You will give me nothing else, and you're even happier than I am. So uh, this arrangement 
pretty clean, pretty straight up, mm-hmm. seems to be becoming more and more popular. It is. I wouldn't say that necessarily ends the inquiry as to whether or not you are an employee or an independent contractor. Yeah, okay, that's where I'm going with this, too. Yeah, you still have to look into other things, as I said, like the, the level of control, uh, whether or not the worker is entitled to uh, enter into contracts with other businesses as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it certainly doesn't come down to, to what the employee or sort of the worker and the business agree to. Uh, you can be defined as an independent contractor in, in an agreement, but it's always going to be a, a question that the courts will inquire. To. They'll always look to the actual substance of the relationship. So it's it's not as simple as just sort of, you know, structuring um, uh, your, your benefits and pay in a certain way in a contract. And that's the end of the story. There's, there's a fair bit to it. Okay. So now it would seem, though, Jeff, that this would thrive, this, this attitude, particularly in the, from the employers, it, at times when there are, uh, when there's a huge surplus of labor uh, and there are lots of people coming after you and you really just want someone to do a, a service that you pay a flat rate for. You're not interested in employees and benefits and the package. But if, as I understand it in British Columbia, in the hospitality industry, in the construction industry, in other industries, people are begging for workers. We can't staff out construction projects. Restaurants are having to reduce their hours of being open and possibly making money because they can't staff their kitchens and the front of house. This is a time that in many sectors of the economy, Jeff, we are experiencing labor shortages. So how would that attitude of the gig economy, fee-for-service, no strings attached, how is it it functioning in this time when some sectors are, are crying for workers? Well, it, it, that, that certainly plays into the increase of the gig economy in a lot of ways. I mean, for one, when you have an in, a surplus of labor, um, that obviously decreases uh, workers' bargaining power. I mean, if you have fewer jobs available to you and you're, you're desperate for work, uh, you are uh, in a position of weakness in terms of bargaining against a business. So you're, you're more likely to sort of accept what's given to you, whether or not you find those, uh, those conditions to be acceptable personally. Right. Um, so I think that's certainly a big factor. I think another big factor is, is just technology. Um, you know, the, the increase of, uh, of, of Wi-Fi essentially anywhere. Everyone's got data plans. Everyone's got cell phones. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's become much easier to not just start up these businesses, but to, um, uh, to, to join these businesses as well. Um, you know, usually the application processes are, are, are very minimal. There's not really thorough screening. So um, they're, you know, they're relatively easy jobs to get. They're easy jobs to offer. Um, but I think a, cert, you know, a, a big factor as to why you see a lot of people entering these jobs uh, definitely is because of a, a lack of bargaining power because of a surplus of labor. Mm, we're speaking with Jeff Mason, who is a lawyer with Kent Employment Law, uh, about the gig economy. And uh, I, I do, does a person who makes a fundamental agreement, just super easy, uh, and trying to keep it really clean here for uh, the conversation, I'm going to do this for you at which uh, you will pay me X. You will pay me on this date, that date, and then we're done. Bye. See ya. Game over. Does that person entering into that arrangement during the time the arrangement is being executed enjoy rights in the workplace as any other worker would? Or do they forfeit even those? Well, if it's as simple as, as, as you've laid it out, that you're just being uh, hired to perform one particular service and there's really nothing else, else to it, 
and that actually is the nature of the agreement, then I think there is a strong case that they would be an independent contractor, right. and, and you are and you aren't going to have those entitlements. Um, but what makes it particularly challenging in assessing whether or not someone's a, an employee or an independent contractor is it goes far beyond what's actually in between the four corners of the contract. Uh, your your contract and your relationship is defined by how it's carried out. So you see a lot of contracts that are as simple as, you know, you provide these services by X date and we'll pay you this. But the actual agreement is much more complicated and sophisticated than that. You know, there'll be oral terms of, uh, you know, requiring you to be performing this at certain hours. Right, sure. Uh, you know, yep. preventing you from working elsewhere. Um, uh, so, you know, it's it's rarely as simple as just, you know, provide services and we'll pay you this. But if it, if it you know, is truly that simple, then... Uh, then, yeah, I think uh, you would likely be found to be an independent contractor. But in the course, my, my question was also relating to the workplace. While you, have, for whatever brief period of time, are functioning in that workplace, you would enjoy all the protections of workplace labor law as it exists, uh, as any other worker, uh, full-time, part-time, or contract would, correct? Yeah, so I, I should clarify that, that you know, if you are an independent contractor, you aren't going to enjoy those protections. So uh, if, you know, if the relationship is as simple as you're being hired to perform a service, uh, and 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 you're going to be provided a certain fee for that, and right. that's it. Um, then your your employer wouldn't be required uh, to provide you with any basic employment standards if it was truly an independent contractor. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So uh, have, now you're an employment lawyer. You work with a big firm, Kent Employment Law, with offices around the provinces, uh, province rather. And uh, do you have, again, with these young, fresh startup companies, I'm sure a lot of the uh, principals in these companies come to employment lawyers and go, okay, here's our business model. Here's the way we'd like to run our company. Is this uh, kosher as far as BC labor law goes? So when someone comes to you and says, We'd really like to run our, our company on a shoestring. We don't want employees. We want uh, contract workers who w- with no strings attached. Is that a business model that you're seeing more of being started up? I think you are seeing more and more of those. I don't know if it would quite rise to the level of being an epidemic yet, but you're you're definitely seeing an increase. Um, in terms of you know businesses' obligations, in terms of framing their uh, their businesses as being independent contractor based or employee based. You know, there is a recognition that businesses are entitled to structure their businesses however they want sure. within the confines of the law. So I think it is challenging necessarily to uh, you know, put the onus completely on businesses for wanting to structure their, uh, their arrangements like this. In, in some respects, it is more of a political uh, decision. And I think that uh, you know, practically speaking, it's also probably going to require uh, political intervention if, if we do want to see that change. Right. Uh, and because if you're looking for work, where, wherever your source, Kijiji or Craigslist or whatever, employ Indeed, wherever you go, in, in many cases, the, it will say right on the job uh, description, this is a contract uh, job for a period of 12 months or something, mm-hmm. maybe a maternity leave replacement situation or something like that. Yeah. It's speci- is that required now in terms of the employee so that I don't go in with any misunderstanding of what's expected when I show up for that interview? I wouldn't say it's legally required, but um, it certainly would be in both parties' interest to have that clearly defined. Uh, You know, one of the main things you're trying to do in any contract is to uh, have certainty between the parties and their understanding and their intent in entering into it. Sure. Um, so, you know, to the extent that an employer wants a court to find that the relationship actually is an independent contractor relationship, 
they would certainly want to include a term like that to, to help clarify the relationship. Okay. I'm sure I'm not the only one with questions about the gig economy. So, Andrew and Ben, let's open up the phone lines here. This, we got an employment lawyer, free legal advice, and why not? Let's just go for it. 604-280-9898. 604-280-9898. Your calls on the gig economy. Maybe you're in a situation right now where you're, you're, you're perhaps surprised to discover that in your employer's eyes, you're not an employee, you're an independent contractor. Does that happen, Jeff? Do people get kind of get surprised? that my, I, I thought my status was this, but my boss seems to think it's something else altogether. Absolutely, that happens. And, and it happens in large part not just because uh, you know, there isn't clarity between the parties at the beginning of the relationship, but you can enter into an agreement thinking that you're going to be an independent contractor. But as I said, the, the actual relationship evolves or it changes or, or, it's, or it's different than what the initial expectations were entering into it. Um, so we see that all the time. Okay. And, and what, uh, what remedies do you offer? I mean, if someone has literally felt the goalposts have been moved during the game, uh, is there any recourse for that individual? Absolutely. And that's you know, the, the important thing to take away from this as well is that, again, you, you're not just defined as an independent contractor, end of story. It, it is ultimately a legal question. So you can always, uh, you can always seek recourse through the courts uh, to have a, a court decide the true nature of the relationship. Um, and if you were uh, treated as an independent contractor, but a court finds that you are actually an employee, uh, the employer can be uh, liable for uh, any uh, any benefits they haven't paid previously, uh, any any basically any employment standard entitlements that they have failed to provide. Uh, they can be uh, liable for providing those. A significant one, obviously, is severance. I was just going to bring that up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because again, if suppose now you've been you've considered yourself to be an independent contractor, but you've been working for this outfit for four or five years. You're like an employee, except you're you're an independent contractor. Uh, there's a categorization difference there that's going to make a lot of difference when you finally leave. Because as a contract worker, see ya. As an employee, well, here's your check, and thank you for your years of service, and uh, best of luck in your new job. Ab- absolutely, and that, that, that's probably the you know, one of the main uh, the main entitlements that uh, workers are looking for. Um, and it is, you know, it's such a drastic swing. Either you're entitled to, you know, potentially months of severance, sure. or absolutely nothing at all. So right. there's clearly a lot at stake when it comes to that. Um, it's also particularly important uh, in our current economy because um, there are a lot of people looking for work. Uh, and entitlements like severance and employment insurance are specifically implemented to provide some sort of recourse or remedy during those periods of unemployment. Right. Jeff Mason is a, an employment lawyer with Kent Employment Law. Our lines are open to you at 604-280-9898. Lots more ahead, including your calls and free legal advice on Vancouver Consumer after the news. Welcome back to the program this soggy Saturday afternoon. I'm Sterling Fox. In the studio across the desk from me is Jeff Mason. Mr. Mason is an employment lawyer with Kent Employment Law. They have offices in Kelowna, here in Vancouver, and in Victoria. And uh, Jeff was just saying during the news break that uh, summer, particularly in the employment business, is kind of a, usually a soft period of the year. That's when employment lawyers go fishing. But this year, not the case, Jeff. You've been just going flat out all summer long. Yeah, it's and it's been a bit of everything, which I think has made it a bit challenging to explain. You know, we're not really seeing one particular uh, area of employment law that's that's had a rise uh, to the exception of others. But yeah, everything seems to be 
picking up. I think that the uh, anticipated uh, legalization of, of recreational marijuana certainly had an impact. We're seeing a lot of uh, policy revisions and of course, things like yeah. that. Yeah. And, and, and employers, of course. Uh, we, we did a thing on this. I, I was working on Charles Adler's show a few weeks ago, and I had been to a staff party where you get the drink tickets and, you know, the buffet. And I said, well, the next time the staff gets together will be at Christmas. And by then, the grounds, uh, the, the goalposts will definitely have been moved. So uh, what are they going to do? Are they going to, because they're going to give you drink tickets and they're happy with that. Uh, what are they going to do about, uh, well, about marijuana? What are they going to do about cannabis? Uh, and corporations of all sizes, I'm sure, are sitting down with employment lawyers like you going, what on earth are we going to do? Absolutely. And, you know, what, what makes it a little challenging for an employment lawyer is that there's not a whole lot... Uh, changing in terms of uh, employees' legal obligations, those are really staying the same. What's really changing is just the playing field and, yeah. and applying those, right? So, you know, we're, the same sort of obligations an employer would have with respect to uh, an employee showing up uh, impaired by alcohol right. or, or other prescription drugs, those, those same things would apply. Um, but uh, obviously, you know, uh, marijuana poses its own unique challenges. It can be used medicinally, it can be used mm-hmm. recreationally, That's you right. can have impairment lingering uh, over long periods of time. It's obviously much more challenging to measure it. So it's posing a lot more sort of practical challenges than, uh, than legal obstacles. Right we now. open the phone lines uh, during the news break. Steve, we'll get to your call in just a second. One person who called who didn't want to go on the radio, but did want to ask you, Jeff, do you uh, work with union matters? Uh, so, so we focus uh, predominantly on new, uh, non-unionized environments. Okay, um, and that's a bit of a distinction between employment lawyers and labor lawyers. Uh, oh. yeah, labor lawyers are uh, generally uh, focus on on union matters. Um, employment lawyers focus uh, more on non-unionized environments. Now, there are uh, you know some uh, some things that you can assist unionized me- unionized members with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, human rights uh, cl- um, uh, claims, for example. Um, uh, an employment lawyer can certainly assist with that. Uh, and if you want to sort of challenge the way your union has been representing you, you can assist with that. But As an outsider almost it, in yeah, that case, but, then, right. But mo- predominantly you have to sort of be uh, hands-off. Well, I didn't know that. So a lawyer who advertises him or herself as a labor lawyer is likely to represent and deal with union issues, and an employment lawyer deals with essentially non-union matters. That's pretty much the difference, yeah. Well, I didn't know that. So, okay, there you go, boys and girls. We've all learned something this (laughs) soggy Saturday afternoon. Let's go to the phones and uh, check in with Steve here in Vancouver. Thanks for waiting, Steve. Good afternoon. Good afternoon to you, gentlemen. Um, I've worked for a company just subcontracted from them from 2012 to last year. I've done about 350 service calls for them and been on call for them for 100 bucks a week, 24-7. Um, being a subcontractor, mine entails any kind of compensation at the end of the day. Uh, are, you, see, are, you, are you speaking about when you're, uh, when you're off, off duty? Well, no, but they, I mean, I subcontract, they phone me and I subcontract from them. And I've done like 350 jobs for them for like, over the last four years. Right. They're oh. no longer using me, but I was on call for them for 100 bucks a week as well for 24-7. Now you said at the end of the day, um, do you think I would be entitled to any kind of compensation or not? When did your, ter- when did your employment or your con- con- connection with this company end, Steve? Recently? Well, they still call me. Could they call oh, me so it's, it's, it's ongoing. Any thoughts yeah, here, Jeff? Yeah, so first of all, Steve, are you talking about compensation in terms of uh, at the end of the employment relationship, if, if it, uh, like, sort of severance compensation or... Uh... Yeah, well, I mean, there, I've, I've done one job for them in the last year. Okay. Oh, okay. So... Like several jobs a day for them because they couldn't find the right employee to, to work for them, so they subcontracted to me. 
Okay. Yeah, so again, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily focus on whether or not you're uh, labeled as a subcontractor or a contractor or, or however it's defined. Um, you're going to look into the level of control. Uh, that's going to be the, the primary analysis that's going to be undertaken is the level of control that the, the business has over you. So if you being on call requires you to not be working elsewhere, uh, that would certainly uh, be suggestive of being an employee. Um, now, if you if it hasn't impacted your ability to work anywhere else, uh, then you know I think that would be more suge- suggestive of an, an independent contractor relationship. Um, if you were found to be an employee uh, and you were uh, laid off for a period of time, um, then that would actually be uh, considered to be a dismissal, unless there was something in your contract that allowed your uh, your bi- the business that you're working for to uh, to lay you off for a period of time. Yeah, there was no contract. It was just uh, they would call me and ask me if I wanted to work, and I would say yes. And then they would. Uh, I was just because I couldn't find anybody in the field that I'm in, so. I was working for them pretty much steadily, okay. just as a subcontractor. Interesting. So, so yeah, without without a provision in a contract entitling uh, a business to lay someone off, um, that can be uh, that can be equivalent to a dismissal, and you'd be entitled to um, uh, anything arising from that as a regular employee would, including severance. But it is again going to kind of come down to whether or not you're found to be an employee or an independent contractor. Steve, you uh, you sound like you've got a bit of a case, or certainly the the beginnings of a case. And uh, clearly, though, if you if you want to dig into this at all, Jeff, you're going to need to sit down with Steve and, and get the nuts and bolts of the last four or five years he spent with this company and dig into the nature of that relationship. Uh, so, Steve, uh, first of all, if you'd like to, to, to get together with Jeff, uh, all the contact information is available on his company website, which is Kent Employment Law, all one word, dot com. Kent employmentlaw.com and to follow up on it it sounds like there there could be some dough in there uh, certainly worth investigating and not just shuffling shuffling it off how many just to, to referring to steve's point how many people who are possibly independent contractors who are just working in the gig economy doing job after job for specific uh, functions how many of those people do not have contracts my guess is most of them yeah, and I mean, it's hard to put a pre- precise figure on that, but that's something you see not just within the gig economy, but in most working relationships. Uh, you know, most um, most of them are pretty informal. You do not have, uh, you know, a very sophisticated uh, employment contract. Usually, at the very least, you might have a, an, a, an employment letter. Yes. But that also doesn't mean that there's no contract. So every employee in Canada is working pursuant to an employment contract, whether or not that's written, whether or not it's implied by law or it's oral. So it's it's important to have it written to sort of clarify what the terms are. But if there's no written contract, you, you, there are still certain terms that both parties have to abide by. I didn't know that. And, and uh, do, uh, what percentage of the population understands that? Do you think, I get, if I don't know it, and I'm reasonably up to speed on what the heck's going on, uh, I, I'm thinking probably most people don't know. Yeah, I, I would say a large majority um, are, are unaware of, uh, of, of these sort of implied terms governing their relationship. If you do have sort of an, an oral understanding with your, uh, with your employer, um, as I said, those are just as binding as, uh, as a written term. Right. But and that w- letter that you received for, you know, welcome to ABC Widgets. Your job description is such. We expect you to do this. We look forward to a long and healthy relationship. And you haven't had anything formal from the company since your first day. That's a contract, isn't a- it? Absolutely. And, and the, you know, what's 
challenging for a lot of workers is that these these implied terms are uh, they're not necessarily common sense they're not well known but they're just as important so to go back to Steve's question um, about the potential layoff that actually stems from an implied term uh, that courts imply in a contract that employers are required to provide their employees with work so that's where that um, uh, that legal principle stems from that if you are not provided work if you're laid off Without a provision in your contract entitling you to that, it's actually in breach of the implied term requiring your employer to provide you with work. I have a, a, just a straight-up question for you that, 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 that kind of comes from uh, uh, some experience and just watching the world go by. Uh, no employer in B.C. has to justify firing you. If they want you gone, they can fire you. End of story. Correct. Uh, y- with yes. the appropriate <laughs> severance and all the rest yeah. of that. But uh, they don't have to go, well, you know, you haven't been mustering up. We, they can just come to you and it's time, you're done. Yeah, that, that, that's probably one of the most common issues that I see employees bring to me is is a feeling that they've been dismissed for unfair reasons. Right. And one of the first that's things... That's where I was going with this. Yeah, and, and one of the things you have to make clear right off the bat is as long as your employer is providing you with adequate severance, they're not discriminating against you, and they're not dismissing you for a retaliatory reason for you know filing something like a, an employment standards branch sure. complaint or right, considering right. a complaint like that. They have uh, great latitude in dismissing you. Now, I should qualify that a bit by saying this refers to provincially regulated non-unionized employees. Right, it's obviously right. a bit of a different story when you're dealing with uh, unionized environments or federally regulated employees. Mm-hmm. Okay. Back to the phones. Uh, we're in Richmond this time with Barry on the line. Barry, good afternoon. Yeah, I know. I know you're running the program from a, and and I think it's good. I mean, obviously from an employee's point of view. But what about the employer? What about all the employers out there who don't know uh, what they're getting into when someone says to them, and this has happened to me as an employer numerous times, is I I, I don't want to work on the books. I want to work for contract. I want to be an independent. Right. They bring you a GST number, and then they can turn around a year or two, three years later, and say, no, 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 no. I uh, you know I listen to one of those ads on NW. And I've just self-determined that I'm, I'm really not an independent contractor. I'm going to haul you before employment standards or alternatively retain a lawyer. How does the company, how do companies or employers, whether you're hiring a roofer or whether you're hiring a babysitter for long term or how home care or whatever you're hiring, how does the company or the employer, and it could be one person employer, protect themselves against those claims after the fact and what legal advice do you have for them? Barry, I'm glad you called. Jeff? That's a great question, Barry. And it, it kind of goes back to a, a comment I was making earlier, Sterling, about uh, employers, you know, as long as they're acting within the confines of the law, they are allowed to structure their business such that they have independent contractor relationships. Sure. There's nothing illegal about that or improper about that. The challenge comes, obviously, when you want to structure something or treat an employee as an independent contractor, but uh, the, the relationship's actually in an, an employment relationship. Um, so you're not providing them with certain benefits, but they aren't getting the benefits of being an independent contractor. Now, so back to Barry's original question, um, there's a lack of knowledge on certainly both sides of the coin for employees and employers. Uh, the advice to an employer, uh, obviously, is first to you know seek some legal advice about how to structure the unique relationship in a, in a way such that it's an independent contractor relationship. Right. Each relationship is completely different, so you really need to inquire into the particular relationship. 
there's there's no sort of airtight bulletproof uh, agreement. You know, courts will always um, they're always entitled to assess the relationship, but you know, courts uh, contracts can be more or less likely to provide for an independent contractor relationship. So first and foremost, uh, you know, get legal advice with respect to the particular relationship. You're probably going to be advised to uh, allow the worker to have a significant amount of autonomy and control. Um, to not uh, to require the employer to uh, not restrict how they perform the services as long as they do to use their own tools um, things like that um, but the, the sort of key p advice the key piece of advice for any employer is to actually carry out the terms of the contract and that's one of the biggest challenges we see for employers is that perhaps there's a true independent contractor relationship initially but over months or even years that that changes and morphs and evolves yeah. um, and turns into an employment relationship. Even though uh, on paper it still says this is a is a, a, a it's a different kind of relationship. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, once that becomes, I mean, this is this is what happens though. You go into uh, an employment situation under one set of conditions, but then things start working. I was only supposed to be here for six months, and they keep keep asking me to stick around. So once you get that original agreed to period under your belt, and the company says, "Well, you know, you're doing a terrific job. Why, why don't you just stick around, and we'll give you this to do? How about this project for the next six months? Uh, and and we'll keep the same terms and conditions. You know, fee for service." No strings, no benefits. Uh, have you become an employee? Uh, again, it, it would depend, um, but I, I think that there would be a strong case that you would have become an employee. Um, again, there's many factors that courts are going to look into. Right. Um, but the the fundamental thing is is that the relationships do change. Uh, no different than you know if if you receive a raise. Uh, you know, your employer can't rely on a written contract that said you're being paid less, you know, 20 years ago to to say you're entitled to that amount. All terms of contracts evolve. Um, you can be promoted without getting a, a change to your written contract. True. Again, you can receive a raise, things like that. So, um, yeah, if your employer says to you, we want you to stick around more, that on its own wouldn't necessarily be determinative of, of creating an, imp- an employment relationship. Right. But, if, you know, if they said, uh, we want you to stick around, we don't want you working for anyone else, um, we're going to provide you with office space, we're going to provide you with the computer, everything you need, um, you're going to market yourself as being, uh, you a know... A part of the team. A part of the team, yeah. yeah. All, all sorts of things like that would certainly... Um, indicate an employment relationship. So this whole gig economy thing, to summarize, because we're almost out of time, is really fluid. I mean, it's it's not there. There, as you just as you said, probably ten times in the last hour, there are no hard and fast rules anymore. But there's a nece- a need to understand the uh, the basic parts of an arrangement. Absolutely, and it's uh, it's you know one of the challenges in uh, in a lot of areas of employment law is it's very contextual. The gig economy creates some unique challenges because the the businesses are all very unique and different, right? So some some businesses are um, they're more or less like a, an independent contractor relationship than others. They have more control over their workers. So um, you know, one set of rules does not necessarily apply well to to all sorts of companies within the gig economy. But it, it is certainly a very fluid set of rules. Sure is. We'll have to get, we'll have to continue this conversation, you know, because it, it's uh, the, the landscape is changing and it's not going to stop. So it, it, all we can do, Jeff, is work hard to keep up with it all, right? I think I can agree with that 100%. Absolutely. Thanks for coming in. It's great to meet you, and we do appreciate your time. Thanks again for having me, And Sterling. you want appreciate to track it. down Jeff Mason and have a chat, you can find him on the website of his company. It's kentemploymentlaw.com. Jeff Mason, thanks. Thanks again. We're back after this. 
And once again, our thanks to Jeff Mason for a very informative visit. It's good to know what the workplace is evolving into and how to best take advantage of the changes. And thanks for your calls, too. Next weekend, Claire Newell will return with lots more on travel to Hong Kong. And John Carlson from 1% Realty will keep us up to speed on Metro Vancouver real estate. Time now for Duly Noted. And this time, our producer, Ben Dooley, has a look at wearable ultrasound. Thanks, Sterling. A made-in-BC technological breakthrough has the promise of providing easy and cheap access to ultrasound scans. Engineers at UBC have designed and developed a tiny ultrasound probe. No bigger than a Band-Aid, the ultrasound consists of tiny vibrating drums of polymer resin and costs less than $100. Here's researcher Carlos Gerardo. We are really excited. We are even uh, considering the possibility of commercializing this technology or even licensing it to uh, major ultrasound manufacturers. We are really excited. We are even uh, considering the possibility of commercializing this technology or even licensing it to uh, major ultrasound manufacturers. The device sticks to the skin and can transmit data to a smartphone or tablet. The scanner is also flexible, opening up the technology to a wide range of new uses. Edmund Kritu, a professor of electrical and computer engineering, says the device generates sonograms that are once produced by traditional ultrasound devices. Kritu says there is still much work to be done until the devices are on the market, joining a wave of promising technology that could change healthcare. Some of them might sound like science fiction, but they are already here, existing already. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thanks, Ben. Time for a couple more consumer quickies before we go. Cineplex is partnering with technology company VR Studios to bring up to 40 virtual reality installations across Canada. Cineplex says this will not only open up virtual reality opportunities at its movie theaters, but it could also be the ground zero for a global VR campaign. Cineplex already offers virtual reality gaming called The Void at some of its locations and says this is all about offering consumers more options as the movie company looks for ways to compete against Netflix and other forces keeping customers away from its movie theaters. And it's almost time for everyone's favorite Bavarian festival that involves steins and, well, more steins, a beer. After Harvest House announced it's taking this year off from Oktoberfest celebrations, here's another option. You can celebrate the affair two weeks from tonight, Saturday the 29th, at Oktoberfest Vancouver, taking place at Hastings Racecourse. Tickets to this event are limited, so you'll want to get them before it's too late, and they're on sale now for 50 bucks via Eventbrite. Your ticketing includes a limited edition Oktoberfest Vancouver beer stein, one food and two drink vouchers redeemable exclusively in the Oktoberfest event areas, a $5 win bet wagering, and an official live racing program. Yes, beer and the ponies, two weeks from tonight at uh, Vancouver Racecourse. That is our show for this weekend, produced by Ben Dooley. Andrew Ferreira is at the controls. We value your feedback, and if you have any thoughts or suggestions for the show, please send them along to sterling at cknw.com. I'm Sterling Fox. Join us again next Saturday at 2 for another edition of Vancouver. Vancouver Consumer on 980 CKNW. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.